Many Christians seem to ignore, or at least to downplay, Jesus' real humanity. We tend to focus so much on his divinity that we minimize the authenticity of Jesus' human nature. This can happen even when we read about Jesus' death on the cross. There's almost a tendency to think that because Jesus was God, he could sort of breeze through the crucifixion, that it must have been easier for him. But listening closely to Jesus' words from the cross should put that idea to rest. What Jesus suffered there, he felt in his body as well as his soul, and he suffered that to save us. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Dave Bast, and uh, we're now past the midpoint of our series on Jesus' words from the cross. There are seven of them, if you take all the different Gospels and put them together. Mm -hmm. We've often pointed out that they record different ones. Nobody records all seven, but by creating a kind of mosaic of these words from the four Gospels, we get the full range of Jesus' experience. He may even have said more than the seven that we got recorded, so it's not too surprising that no one Gospel has all the same ones. He probably even said more than this, but these were the leading ones that the Gospel writers recorded because they teach us something really, really important about the nature of Jesus' death and crucifixion and what it, what it accomplished. Right. We've uh, pointed out, I think, at the outset that the Christian message really is about the cross, about Jesus' death, not just his life, his good example and his wonderful teaching and uh, even the miracles and the wonders that he performed, but it all comes down to these last agonizing hours as he was crucified and uh, suffered and died, right. as the creed says, uh, uh, under Pontius right. Pilate. Yeah, so now we're, uh, this is the fifth program in this series, and we're going to go to John's Gospel, the 19th chapter, and let's listen to what John has to say here, beginning at verse 28. John writes, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now John goes on to say it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath, because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. 
So, uh, now actually, if uh, you were listening to that, you also heard another word from the cross, uh, the seventh word, it is finished, and we'll, we'll be taking that up, not in the next program, but the final and seventh program in this series. But for this one, we're going to look at that most human of all things Jesus spoke, I'm thirsty. Crucifixion was an agonizing way to die. Uh, naturally, uh, you know, there's dehydration going on, extra heavy breathing, which dries you out. So, very, very simply, um, he, he is thirsty and and expresses that wish and someone lifts a sponge on a hyssop branch to his lips with some sour wine maybe some cheap wine uh, and Jesus receives that right I've sometimes wondered as you really pour over the details again from the different gospels but in some of the other gospels there's this little business before Jesus is crucified where he's offered a drink of wine. Uh, mixed with hyssop, as they say, and Jesus refuses that. So it seems almost odd that on the one hand he would say no thanks when they want to give him a drink of wine, and on the other, here in John, uh, toward the end, he asks for it and uh, is offered it. So uh, sometimes that might be puzzling, but I think in the first case uh, there was evidently an element of narcotic in that wine, that it was perhaps intended to lessen the pain or the suffering. Or prolong it uh, also, right? If you can yeah, numb well, the person, true too, the, right? the show might go on a little longer because these point. were, were yeah. public spectacles. But in this case, Jesus does receive it. Jesus makes a request. A soldier nearby um, fulfills that request. And again, as we've said, Dave, this is such a very human moment in this particular saying that Jesus, as a real human being, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but of course he was thirsty. And one of the things we're going to want to wonder about in this program is, well, we said a few minutes ago, Jesus maybe said even more than just the seven words we have recorded in the four Gospels. So they've maybe made a selection of the ones they thought were the most important to convey the meaning of the cross and, and to tie in with the Old Testament well, if that was true, then why include this one? Yeah. This one just seems mundane, like I'm thirsty. Right, yeah. Uh, that doesn't seem to have a whole lot of biblical punch. When you think about the other words as we've been uh, considering them and going through them, you, you know, Jesus uh, forgives his right. executioners and offers us uh, the, the most yep. compelling example. Beautiful example of grace. Of, of how to be forgiving ourselves. And uh, the terrible fourth word, as we saw in our last program, my God, my God, why yep. have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? So much theological oomph to that right. one. Right. We tried to plumb the depths of that as Jesus experiences somehow separation from God on the cross. He goes to hell for us. Even the promise to the penitent thief, today you'll be with me in paradise, the third word from the cross, this wonderful hope of heaven and of salvation that he gives. So... Yeah, why now? Why record this little sort of uh, ordinary, off-the-shelf kind of human thing? And uh, I think, as we hope to show, there is great significance here, and we'll try to explore that and unpack it in just a moment. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you 
Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Scott Jose, along with Dave Bast, and you're listening to Groundwork. And this fifth program in our seven-part series on those last words that Jesus spoke from the cross. And here's the one, Dave, that we're looking at today uh, from John 19. Again, we, we read it earlier, but we'll repeat it. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, In order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. So it's an ordinary uh, kind of human request and an ordinary, uh, maybe extraordinary act of mercy, act of compassion. Who's the the they there? Who who did this? One of the soldiers, perhaps? They would have been most obviously the ones to have a jug of wine standing by. Crucifixion was thirsty business. But uh, the great 19th century preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon said of this word from the cross that it's the word of a man, not the word of God. God never has to say, I'm thirsty. So Jesus clearly is speaking out of his humanity, out of his real human physiology. And you know, throughout the course of church history, there have been any number, who knows how many now, any number of heresies. Uh, These are false teachings. And curiously, one of the very, very, very earliest heresies that that beset the early, early church was something called docetism, which was the belief that Jesus was only divine and only pretended to be human, right? It was sort of like Superman. You know, right. he's not really a mild-mannered reporter. Yeah. He's the man of steel underneath his uh, suit coat. Right. All he has to do is rip off his shirt, and you see right. his Superman costume. And yeah. so there was this teaching that indeed Jesus uh, wasn't really human it was it was it was an act uh, mm-hmm. he was only divine there was a reverse heresy which didn't have as much uh, traction i think that was called ebionism that he was only human and pretended to be divine and then there was a middle one adoptionism that he was only human but then adopt god adopted yeah. him as a son god but, sort of yeah, yeah. Gave, bestowed divinity on him yeah. yeah but all of those are heresies because the orthodox christian position all along has been that jesus was truly human and truly divine, 100% both. And that the skin that he had, the body that he had, his hair, his teeth, his eyes, wasn't a disguise, it wasn't a costume, it wasn't fake, it was the real deal. And here, maybe among the reasons why John took care to record this otherwise seemingly kind of a dull word from the cross, I'm thirsty, here we see, indeed, Jesus is taking our place. And that's always been the key, right? In atonement theory, it is so important that we see that Jesus takes our place as a true human being, because only a true human being can take the punishment for sin that we deserve. It has to be done by a a man, (laughs) by a human. And yet, at the same time, unless God is involved in this as well, it can't suffice, really, to cover the sins of the world. Uh, But there's always been something about the crucifixion that has turned people off. And uh, in in the ancient world, crucifixion was so horrifying that polite people didn't talk about it. Uh, They sort of averted their gaze, uh, as it were. Uh, Roman law forbade Roman citizens from being subjected to crucifixion. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. how bad. And uh, it was almost embarrassing to people. It was disgusting. So uh, there was this sense that, no, maybe it didn't really happen to Jesus. In fact, uh, interestingly, today, the whole world of Islam rejects the idea that Jesus suffered on the cross because it's such a degrading thing. So uh, they suggest 
other alternatives for what happened. Somebody uh, who only looked like Jesus was crucified. But, but the Bible's witness to us is Jesus accepted it in his humanity. Uh, he endured it. He went all the way to the end. And he reacted exactly as you or I would have done. He felt the pain that we would have. His throat clenched up and he had <laughs> uh, trouble even articulating. And so in, in a very human and natural way, he asked for something to drink. And that all makes perfect sense. And that's fine. But then our, our listeners, you maybe notice when we read this passage twice now, John goes out of his way to say, oh, this was to fulfill scripture. Right. And you want to say, Jesus getting thirsty fulfilled some part of the Bible? How in the world does this tie in with fulfilling Scripture when he was merely thirsty? But John goes out of his way to say, no, no, this, this fulfilled Scripture. And so I think we should think about that a minute. Well, in fact, he says it again and again, too, with the uh, the side piercing and that spear yeah. and the blood and water. John's coming. always doing that. We'll, this fulfilled Scripture. Right, fulfilled and we'll scripture. talk a little bit more about that in the, in the last segment here. But it's as though John wants us to see that everything that Jesus did and that was done to him both were written ahead of time, were all there in prophetic form in the Old Testament. So there's a verse from the Psalm, Psalm 69, 21, that says, for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And John specifies even that's the kind of wine they gave him. Here are a few more. Uh, I won't give all the references, but these are all quotes from the Old Testament. They've pierced my hands and feet. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. They must not break any of its bones, speaking of the Passover mm. land. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn. Uh, and so it goes. Yeah, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, although he had done no violence. There are, in other words, John wants to make clear by throwing in all of those references to Scripture being fulfilled is that this was not an accident. This didn't blindside God. This wasn't just a terrible thing that wasn't supposed to happen to Jesus, and isn't it awful? Which the disciples were thinking at the time. Right. Oh no, this is the end of everything. We've lost all hope, you know, the Emmaus road travelers, you know, later on Easter, we had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel, but he died. But John wants to say no, this is not a terrible accident. This is not something that oh, that just kind of got away from God and uh, now what? No, this is all part of a plan that has been laid in place in other parts of the New Testament we're told before the foundation of the world yeah. even. And so this fulfillment of Scripture, even on, again, something as simple as just being thirsty, uh, is John's way of saying, God's got this. God's in control. All along, we've been told a suffering servant would come who would suffer horribly for the sins of humanity, and that's exactly what's happening. This is one of the, another, I guess I would say, of the deep mysteries of the cross. The fact that uh, God had it all planned ahead of time, and yet, every human being involved was equally responsible right. for, for their own actions. Yeah. Uh, they weren't automatons. They weren't robots who could only do what God had programmed into them to do. Pilate was responsible for condemning an innocent man. He could have set him free. Uh, the chief priests and leaders of the people were responsible for their envy and their, their desire to get rid of Jesus. The disciples were responsible for abandoning him right. and running away. But in the deep mystery of the providence of God, the way things work, God had it all in mind and uh, designed for the salvation of the world. You meant it for evil, 
but God meant it for good, as Joseph said to his brothers. And in Acts 2, uh, the Pentecost Day sermon, Peter says that Christ was handed over to death, and Peter says, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And there's another thing, of course, when we talk about fulfilling Scripture through this otherwise seemingly dull word about thirst, and that is the branch that is used to lift the sponge, and it shouldn't be lost on us. John doesn't say, oh, some guy picked up a stick and put a sponge on it. No, he makes a note that it's a hyssop stick, which puts you right back in Passover mode in the book of Exodus when the people use the hyssop, right, uh, as part of that whole ceremony that points forward to the ultimate sacrifice of a lamb. Hyssop isn't exactly like a yardstick. It's kind of a scraggly bush from the desert uh, with twisted uh, branches, but it was a hyssop branch that the children of Israel used to dab the blood of the Passover lamb on their doorposts, if you remember that story, right? so that uh, the angel of death would pass over them and spare them. And Jesus died at Passover. Yeah, here we go. So, So what we have here in this little word is, first of all, a testimony to Jesus' real humanity. He truly was our representative. It's a testimony to the plan of God, which was not some Uh, last minute thrown together, improvised, now what do I do? They're going to crucify my son, oh dear, but uh, something that he had intended uh, from all eternity as the means of salvation. And finally, the symbolism of it as Jesus, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us, and through his blood, there it comes out of his side, blood and water that cleanses us, that purifies us. So there's a lot of heavy-duty biblical theological uh, meaning here, but there's a lot of personal meaning for our even our own lives as we think about this particular word from the cross, and we're going to pick that up next. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Dave Bast. And I'm Scott Jose, and we are in this program, Dave, uh, looking at uh, one of the words. uh, It's the fifth in our series, or the fifth word from the cross, a seemingly simple request, I'm thirsty, Jesus says. But we saw just in the last segment that John wants us to know that that's, he included that because it has something to do with fulfilling all Scripture, that this is the plan of God from the beginning to bring salvation in this way. And so that seemingly simple, I thirst, I'm thirsty, has deep, deep meaning biblically and theologically, but we also want to think about personally and pastorally as well. And you know, there's one maybe very simple way we can use this word, I think, uh, to our benefit and uh, uh, Jesus' experience on the cross, and that's uh, moments maybe when we're thirsty, (laughs) Mm. literally, physically, or maybe we're in some kind of pain or suffering. I, I remember talking once to a very mature, very wise old saint, as we might call him, who had experienced a lot of physical pain and uh, illness in his life. And I was just chatting with him and asked him, you know, what do you do? How do you handle that? 
Uh, and he said, well, you know, one of the things I sometimes do is I think about the pain that Jesus suffered for me, mm. and now I can identify with him. I can uh, feel a little bit of what he must have felt uh, in going through me. I, you know, maybe that's not everybody's cup of tea or easy to do, but that's certainly one thing we can do. As we suffer, we think how he suffered for us. And, you know, conversely, that he identifies with us, too, and is, is near to us, and not as somebody who doesn't know. I mean, the, the people who come to you when you are hurting— whose words or sometimes just presence and lack of words mean the most are the people who know what you're going through, yeah. who say, been through it. I know what you're going through, not just because they want to try to empathize, even though they really don't. No, they lost a child once too, or she, her husband died once too, or she was fired once too. So Jesus comes to us in deep empathy, and this thirst image uh, ties in with that. But of course, we should also note, Dave, the image of, well, both hungering and thirsting, but the image of thirst is all through the Bible mm-hmm. now in a spiritual sense of right. thirsting after the things of God. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch, biblically speaking, to kind of see this also as a metaphor for thirsting for God, thirsting for the things of Christ, and wanting to have our thirst quenched by the Spirit of God and the knowledge of God. Yeah, well, think of Isaiah 55, a famous passage. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? And you just think of all the things that people are living for to kind of quench their thirst for meaning, for love, for relationships, for purpose in life, all the things that they spend their money on to find happiness or satisfaction. And as St. Augustine said long ago, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. God, you've made us for yourself. And, And all those appetites and desires are really deep down only able to be met by God. Right. And we even use some of that imagery today. I mean, sometimes when we see somebody trying to find life's meaning or trying to make himself happy by earning lots of money or by engaging in a lot of sexuality or by doing all kinds of things, people say he's drinking at all the wrong taps. He's got a deep down thirst and he thinks money is going to quench it and it won't. He thinks that, you know, sexuality is going to quench it. Fame will quench it. It won't. Deep down, we we finally have this thirst for God. Psalm 42 comes to mind. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And that famous psalm expresses the longing of so many of us. You know, you also think of Jesus' thirst I think of the story in John 4 where he was in conversation mm-hmm. with a Samaritan right. woman. At a well. He, yeah. Yep, at a well, and he uses the image of water uh, metaphorically. And First he asks her for a drink, and then uh, as she's offering him water, he says to her, if you knew who it was who's speaking to you, you'd ask me for a drink, and I'd give it to you, and, and what I would give you would be a well of water, a, a fountain bubbling up within right. you. He's offering himself in response to her thirst for forgiveness and for uh, meaning in life and for healing. And uh, the irony is that he who is the water of life now on the cross is dry and thirsty. All right. Uh, in terms of John's saying this was to fulfill a scripture, he probably didn't have a single verse in mind. Uh, I think he had a panoply, a multiplicity of verses in mind that this Jesus who was thirsty for you on your behalf by dying on the cross 
is also, again, as you just said, to use the John 4 image from this same gospel, he is himself the wellspring of eternal life, the water that will leave you so that you'll never never really be thirsty mm-hmm. again. And so it fulfills scripture, not just a verse here or there, but it fulfills lots of uh, trajectories and arcs of scripture that this one who died is the ultimate answer to your every hunger, your every thirst. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, and Jesus is our righteousness. You know, Scott, as I worked with Words of Hope for many years, I got an opportunity to travel to many places in the world, and really one of the most uh, moving and powerful experiences I ever had was on my first trip to India where I visited Mother Teresa's Mm. uh, hospice. And I learned there that in the Houses of Charity, the, the order that Mother Teresa founded, There are two signs, two sayings of Jesus that are posted. One of them says, I thirst, and the other says, I quench. Mm. Jesus is still thirsty for us to come to him, and he is the one who quenches our eternal thirst. Thanks be to God. Thank you for joining our Groundwork Conversation. I'm Scott Jose along with Dave Bast, and we want to know how we can help you to dig deeper into Scripture. So visit GroundworkOnline.com to tell us topics and passages to dig into next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacobs.